Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. It's been since October, um, Hope Church. I will also say that you know um, I'm wildly unpredictable and that I like to make you talk to each other. Um, but that's because your pastor also asks for that. So um, when you write on the connection card, this lady was so weird. Um, I invite you to write Pastor Kevin also in the connection card. So today we're going to talk about James. Um, we're going to specifically be in James 3. Um, a few things that I wanted to say before we started out. If you could go to the next slide. So typically, it's pictures of my family, and then the last time I came was pictures of our COVID puppy. Um, I just want to tell you, if you have never purchased a dog, which was what my story was in 2020, um, how they got me was they said the dog is the runt. So I just want to show you the runt dog, because it's just worth noting that um, I'm not calling anybody in your family a liar, because I would never say that, because um, I love Jesus. But James also tells us not to lie. So um, just know that if you're encouraging someone to purchase a dog, because it would be so fun um, in quarantine, um, you may end up with that. I just want to let you know. And that was before he was a year old. So just, yes, we love Rocky. My family is here with me today. I'm so excited. So, um, yeah, thank you. Uh, the other thing I'm going to say is, Hope, how amazing it is to see your whole face. Can we just thank the Lord that we're in a good place where we can, we can see each other's faces? It's so nice. And I can hug some of you. All right. So if you have your Bibles with me, you could turn um, to James 3. The scripture will also be up on the screen. Um, I'm going to pray us in one more short time, um, and then we'll get started. Jesus, I just thank you for the opportunity to dig into your word this morning. I'm mindful that this is not the story for many believers around the world. And so, God, we say thank you. We say thank you for the opportunity to share in this together. We say thank you for the opportunity to be in worship in person together. God, for those who are still recovering, for those who are still anxious, for those who are wondering if sickness is coming to their doorstep, um, God, who moves the heavens and the earth, we pray for your hand of healing for not just our country but for our world. Um, Lord, I am also mindful, um, as Kylie said, for those that are experiencing distress at the amount of rain. Um, God, I think of crops, I think of farmers, but I think of just people living in our neighborhoods and wondering what they're going to do. Lord, would our eyes be open so we could see the needs that are around us and God extend a willing hand to help. And Lord, I just pray, um, could we just get a break, a little bit of sunshine, a little bit of summer. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, flashback, can we go back? Is there... Um, can we go back two slides? Ho, ho. So two times ago when I was here and your pastor asked me to ask you about evangelism, we talked about um, how sometimes uh, we get nervous or anxious because we think, okay, there has to be one way for us to share the gospel. And we talked about um, understanding that the gospel exists all over the scriptures and it's not just in John 3.16, it's not just in the Romans road, but we're able, we should be able to share the gospel with wherever God is talking to us in the scriptures right now. So... I'm going to give you guys two minutes to look at the person next to you and just remind them what your favorite verse is or what verse you're reading right now, what is speaking to you right now. Go. Just lean over. And if you're saying no verse, help hold me accountable to reading the scriptures. All right, if you can hit that next slide. So where is the gospel? Where is the good news in that verse? Keep going. All right. 
I'm aware that I get to preach in enough churches in our classes that I drop in infrequently enough. And so I'll have some pastors tell me, hey, can you really hit on this? But then I never come back or it's like a year before I come back. And it's just like, oh, I think last time she was okay. So I'm being more mindful that if there's things that I hit on while I'm here to make sure that I keep hitting them back. Why? Um, because part of being able to share the good news just really takes practice. That if we're out of practice and we don't do it, we don't talk to anybody about what's going on or what God is sharing with us, um, that when it comes time to do it, we start to feel hyper-anxious, super weird. You know, what am I going to say? Am I going to say the wrong thing? And so church is a safe place to practice. Yeah? Okay, good. A couple nodding heads. Some people being like, please don't come back. Okay, so the next verse So um, I I took it out of the New Living Translation. But the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. It is peace-loving, gentle at all times, willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism. It is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Now... uh, you know, of all the things to really say, like, you know, we talk about this, my husband and I, when we, when we think about what we really want for our kids and what we want for us, and, and when we think about New Year's resolutions, um, wisdom never really makes our list. It's not something we think about. It's not something we really shoot towards. Um, and here I am. I've been stuck in the book of James for a couple months now, and I was just like, wow, that's a big, long list of wisdom. Like, of all the things, like, why would you put this big chunk about, like, wisdom? Now, for those of us who love the Psalms, love Proverbs, um, you know, we're used to seeing wisdom show up again and again. And here in James, there's this block where he just defines what wisdom is. And so as I've been going through the book of James, I've just been saying, why, why say this here? If this was so important, why does it make sense for him to talk about wisdom in this moment? So if you go to the next slide... So here is James. Like when you see him typically in his iconography, he's covered in crosses. He was called James the Just. Um, He was a revered uh, person in the life of the early um, Jewish believers. Um, He was the brother of Jesus. So James the Just um, was behind in Jerusalem. And it says, uh, Paul says in Galatians 2 that he was one of the pillars of the church. For those of us who've been um, in church for a while or study the scriptures, um, you'll remember when Paul gets called back into Jerusalem because he's preaching to the Gentiles, he goes before, um, he goes before James, and James says, it's good work that you're doing. You, somebody should be preaching to the Gentiles. And they affirm the work that's happening in Jerusalem. They affirm the work um, that Paul is doing with the Gentiles. And so, uh, you know, I even have to imagine, you know, um, good for James, because I look at that and I say, you know, um, I look at my own siblings and they, they know that I'm a minister and they're just like, cool. You know, like you see it on their face where they're like, okay. Um, it means they clean up their language around me and if they need like a wedding or something, they come find me. But here it is, is that James is like invested in his brother's ministry. And I think that's so incredible and so humble. And so he says, you know, not only am I going to, not only am I going to believe my brother, but I'm going to commit my whole life to advancing the cause of the gospel here in Jerusalem. How incredibly humble. I mean, I love that about James. Now, again, James, though, is one of those books that, boy, if you're, if you're just needing to, like, really just be reproached, like, James is one of those places where you're like, ouch, ouch, like, you're turning the pages. But here it is, is that James is so committed 
to the gospel and seeing it flourish in Jerusalem. And I think that's incredible. And so many people said that he was so trusted in Jerusalem that he was just kind of like, he didn't even have to self-appoint himself. The people just said, lead us. And so we see that he is now this leader because the people have trusted him so much with being able to help them navigate the newness of this new religion called the way. I will also say um, that as a side note, um, two pictures came up of James. So there is this very like wonderful, just very holy picture. And there was these pictures of, of somebody hitting somebody with a stick. And I didn't want to put that picture up here because I didn't know what was going on. And one of the things that I didn't know about James is that he actually was martyred in Jerusalem for his faith. And so as the Book of Martyrs says, um, is that uh, in the middle of all the unrest that was happening in Jerusalem, they asked James if he would consider going on top of the pinnacle of um, the temple and that he would denounce Jesus. James goes up to the pinnacle and they're like, and he clearly lays out the gospel. He minces no words. He very clearly tells them that Jesus is the only way, and they push him off the temple. And so James is not killed by the fall. He gets on his knees, and he starts asking for God to forgive them. Incredible. Like, James the just, on his knees, asking for God to forgive him. So they actually had to send somebody just to go hit him so he'd die. But all the way to the very end that James was on, they said that his knees were like camel knees because he was on his knees so much praying. And that even in his final, final moments, much like Stephen, he still is on his knees praying. So here is a person that when he has to write a letter to the Jews in Jerusalem, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, he writes about wisdom. And so I wonder, what would James the Just have to say? So I think it's important that we understand Jerusalem at the time. So the next slide... Now, at this time, for all you history buffs, you love this part, um, that the Jews had started to become scattered. The political arena was very tough then. So we started to see uh, the Jewish Christians leaving. Um, Herod Agrippa made it very difficult um, for the Jewish Christians that were there. And so we see that he's using language saying, to all the believers, to my brothers and sisters everywhere. This is the idea of the Adelphoi. They also said that it was a book of maturity. So I love this because even in the middle of them being sent out, he still calls them back to keep growing and maturing in their faith. That's the thing he cares about as they're being scattered here and there. Now, uh, do we have any King James people still here? You read the KJV? Yep, own it, nice and proud. Um, as I think about uh, the loveliness and the beauty of the scriptures, uh, King James asked them to leave their filthiness and the superfluity of their naughtiness. So as you're thinking about your grandkids or kids that may be going off to college um, this fall, I would encourage you, as they go out and be scattered, encourage them to not engage in the superfluity of their naughtiness. <laughs> we'll see what they make of it. We don't know. Um, and so what we see inside of the book of James is that as he's calling them to maturity, he calls them to pray, to pray without ceasing. Um, James is a book that tells us that the, the prayer of a righteous person avails much, that he calls them into not looking into a mirror and forgetting who they are because they're no longer in this central core of believers. They're no longer um, getting to meet together anymore. So as I think about 2020, when we were scattered, this would have been the time where he would have been like, please don't forget what was told to you when we were together. Don't forget the things that we committed to as followers of Jesus, but now that you've been scattered, now that you've went away, now that you're not in your home church anymore, 
This is what I'm asking you to remember. Please don't be like a person that looks in the mirror and then forgets what they look like when they walk away. This is how James is is encouraging and beseeching. You can feel the urgency in James as he's saying, please, you're scattered, but don't become unfaithful. And here's how. Now, again, as I'm thinking, you know, I mean... To be fair, the world of James was very, very um, challenging in that very specific moment. If you go to the next slide. You know, I have to be honest. As I was thinking about what Jerusalem looked like, what the world looked like in AD 50, this, this weird time, AD 50 to AD 65-ish or so, it was around the time when James was martyred. What you will know about Jerusalem then is that they were very scattered. People weren't allowed to meet together in the same way anymore. They were under oppression. At the same time, there was a lot of unrest because of injustice and poverty, particularly in the Jewish and the Jewish communities, the Jewish Christian communities. So there were a time when people were were feeling frustrated with the government, frustrated with how the community was behaving towards each other. Now, at the same time, they decided that they were just going to flat-out rebel, and so they were in the middle of a siege from Rome. So for a long time, they had kind of been in this, like, weird spot where, where Rome had left them alone because they were like, you know what, it's okay, it's okay. It's okay if, if, if you have your, your Roman idols next to our temple. We don't mind. Just don't bother us. Just don't bother our religion. Don't bother our national identity. And then at some point, Rome said, you know what, that's not enough anymore. That's not enough anymore. We want to be inside the temple. And it caused a revolt. It was a time where people had owned their land for centuries. It was part of their inheritance that they gave one to another. The taxes had become so high um, that people had to sell their own inheritance, and they had to go somewhere and they had nowhere to be. And so this is the first time we actually see the rise of factories in the Jerusalem countryside. And then to even imagine that, you know, you have one of the 12 disciples is the tax collector, and they're building homes in the places that were inheritance-free for generations. Now, in a lot of ways, I looked at that, and, and here James is saying, well, what does it mean to really follow Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus in a society where it's confusing, where our national identity is conflated with our religious identity? What does it mean for us to follow Jesus in a place where there's so much injustice, where the poor are getting poorer, where we're losing our sense of being able to leave legacy and wealth for our children? What does it mean for us? What does it mean for us when we're in a place where... um, you know, all of a sudden you're in the religious minority. And not only in a place where you enjoyed, you enjoyed the freedoms that were given to you when you were left alone, but now that the pressure's on, you're scattered. And I have to tell you, it didn't feel like AD 50. It kind of felt like 2020. And so when I looked at James, I was like, you know, maybe I need to start looking at James from where I'm sitting today. In a scattered church, in a place where I can no longer enjoy church the same way that I did, when that was suddenly taken from us, did I walk away forgetting what I looked like? In a time when there's a tension between government and religious identity, do I really know what it means to follow Jesus and Jesus first? 
not Facebook, not even the past, not even what the government tells me, but to actually go back in the scriptures and to understand that this is the final truth for me and everything has to be filtered from that truth. So, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Not just in that climate, but in this climate. Next slide. So, why does this matter? Why would James, in the middle of all of this, ask for them to get wisdom? Any thoughts? Mm-hmm. Yep. It's the only thing that matters, hold you together. Why would wisdom be important? Sounding board, yeah. Is this the right thing? Mm-hmm. All right, so let's go to the next slide then. So you have to imagine, here we are in a society that is exceptionally fragmented, that they're under religious persecution, there is the threat of foreign occupation, that there is this challenge of being um, stripped of some of your religious identity, that you're being persecuted. And in the middle of that, he says, wisdom is peace-loving. Now, there are a lot of reasons God has built me the way he is. You know, and I'm just like, sometimes peace comes because you have to, like, you know, knock a few heads together, you know, like Mo. And so this is part of my opportunity to be able to disciple into Christ's likeness because I have to say, is this peace loving? And if it's not, is this really wisdom from God? Gentle at all times. I heard one, mm. Okay. There should have been about 20 mmms, all right? If you brought kids here this morning, you should have said mmm, okay? I'm saying mmm. Gentle at all times. Are you kidding me? We're mad. We should be mad, right? I know, and I only have two. Um... But here's this idea that, that if you're not mad, you're not doing something. Is that what James would tell us? Now, it is possible for you to be mad and gentle. But what I would say is that in this current climate, if you're not mad and harsh in cancel culture climate, then you're not doing enough. But what would James tell us? Willing to yield to others. I'm married, period, okay? So I say this with all the love in the world. Like, I know this is coming back to bite me. He hasn't seen my notes. Um, but there's a, I mean, we sing songs about independent people, you know? Like, we celebrate Independence Day, you know? There's a part where, where American culture is built on the fact that we have done this by ourselves, folks, okay? Like, we do things. And part of, part of what James is asking us to do is can we yield? Now, I am, um, I'm not going to say that this is Hope Church. I would never say that this is Hope Church. But a church I went to, um, I talked about um, peace, peace and, and being able to lay down arguments. And, <clears throat> and there was some tittering in the back, you know, and there was some poking. And I was like, wow. And it was my first time, so I didn't know if it was just weird. Um, so I just, like, popped down and I said, can somebody, can somebody tell me what happened here? And they pulled me into a closet and they said, listen. We are a church merge, and we're still fighting over which silverware we get to keep. 
And I, I was looking and I was going, oh. And I said, are you serious? And they were like, yep, it's very bitter. <laughs> Willing to yield to others. It ha- and that's church people, okay? So full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. All right, so there is a part that um, I firmly believe, uh, you know, for people who are just like, you know, share the gospel at all times and when necessary use words, well, that's bananas. Because if that happened, then everybody would be falling to their knees in repentance because we're living such amazing lives. You need to be able to share the good news. However, there should be fruit of the good deeds that God is doing by the power of the Holy Spirit through you. Okay? Now, this is not works. James is just merely asking us to consider that we should be fruitful, that we should be full of mercy, Showing no favoritism. Again, I have kids. Period. So just know. This is for us. When we talk about... Now, here's where this matters in the world of James. Is that when we talk about favoritism, um, the scriptures clearly tell, tell us that we should not give more credence to the poor and we should not give more credence to the rich. Now, in a society where people are frustrated and angry, we start saying, well, you need to show favoritism. Now, that's very different from being just. There are some things that need to be done with justice. But I would say that wisdom says, okay, if everybody is made in the image of God, then how do I hold myself to that standard? Okay? Now, that also goes with dealing with some of the nasty stuff we did in the past because there are times when we did not. We treated people then less than the image of God. And that it's always sincere. Always sincere. Now, just take a deep breath. Okay. They're like, oh, please, let's talk about Disney and that's next week. What is wrong with her? <laughs> now, by the time I read it, like, you know, I'm reading it like the fifth or sixth time, and I'm like, you know, and I'm feeling pretty good about it. Like, yeah, and then the sixth time I'm like, So go to the next slide. And I felt like, Lord, I need you to talk to me about this because there's no way. And I just felt the Holy Spirit said it's possible with the Holy Spirit. Am I going to get it right all the time? Absolutely not. But a lot of this is very reflective of the fruit of the Spirit. If I'm talking with God, I'm walking with the Lord, I'm leaning in, I'm hearing his heartbeat, I'm asking the Spirit to talk to me, James 3 becomes more possible. Because it's only possible with the Holy Spirit. Then it's like, okay, well then, so, you know, all right, if it's possible by the Holy Spirit, I can be a wise person, I can be full of wisdom, but how do I even get wisdom? What does it mean for me to actually, like, get wisdom as a Christian? Now, um, how many of you guys, like, ever went through, like, Proverbs a day? Yes, if you went through the study? How many times is wisdom talked about in Proverbs? Whole bunch. I see you guys saying a whole lot. How about 55 times in the first 10 chapters? Okay? Kind of a big deal. But it also helped me to say, okay, well then how do you actually get wisdom? So tell me, Old Testament, show me. What does it say? Go to the next slide. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I stopped after four scripture references because it says it over and over and over and over and over again. A Jewish audience reading James would have known that there is a place where wisdom originates, and it is in the fear of the Lord. Now, uh, again, it was just this idea of just like, so I, I might be afraid of God? Like, 
you know, what does this really mean? And, and God, you, you tell us to not fear you and that you tell us that you love us. So what does the fear of the Lord even mean? Well, Psalm 34 gets us a little bit closer. If you go to the next slide, it says, Come, my children, and listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil, your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. That is where the fear of the Lord starts. That is how we get to wisdom. It actually starts with us being able to say that God, help me keep my tongue from evil. Now, uh, we think of evil as being really hard, really hard spaces. We think of big baddies, you know? I mean, this is like, you know, giant Ursula the Sea Witch vibes, you know? Like, this is Disney baddies, you know, when we think about evil. And what, what, when the Old Testament is actually talking about evil, it's talking about anything that would profane the good name of God. Over and over again, when it talks about evil, the, the margin for holiness is so wide that it, it talks about evil in the sense of if I'm talking about somebody else and I'm, and I'm saying things against them that are contrary to what God says about them, that's part of evil. In our age, if I'm forwarding things that are evil about another person, if I'm typing them into my Facebook account, it's part of not keeping my tongue from evil. I'm not afraid of the Lord in that moment. My lips from telling lies. In this day and age, it's about forwarding things that aren't fact-checked. Not doing our homework. Making assumptions about others. Now, if they said this, they must have meant this. I knew they would do something like that. Do we? Because if no man knows the heart, wow, we've got some magicians in the room. That we do good that we seek peace. You know, if there is one thing that I would say about this last year that has been very heartbreaking has been the willfulness to disrupt peace and call it God's work. We have sanctified and justified our willingness to be angry, to be name-calling to our brothers and sisters in Christ especially. I'm guilty too. But there is a part, man, that's a discipleship issue. How did I get to the point where I justified and sanctified my ability to say horrible things about people? Horrible things. And say, well, I, I get to say them because I'm correct. That when it hit me, I did the same thing because I was like, yes, I, no, no. You know, there was this part where it was just like, but yeah, but you don't understand. And man, I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Like, do I not understand? Is that what you're telling me? And you still said it was okay for you to say and do what you did. I had to tell you, the the thing that is so challenging as I think about what it means to be a Christian, when I think about James' world and how it feels so much like our world today, is that we have gotten completely convoluted about what it means to be a Christian. We've let our history tell us. We've let other preachers tell us. And we've missed the facts that the scriptures tell us. But boy, the, the mark is high. I don't get to lead. I submit and surrender. That is what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. 
Now, I want all the benefits. I want the eternal life. I want the peace. I want the hope. I want the joy. And I want to do it all my way. I wonder if James' world felt the same way. I know our world does. That you can be all these things plus. And boy, that is not what citizenship in the kingdom of heaven is. Now, thank God we're covered by grace. Because there's no way we'd be enough. And I have to say that whatever the world could give me, whatever reparation they wanted to make, whatever thing they wanted to reconcile, whatever they wanted to make right for me would amount to nothing compared to the goodness and the grace that is available through Jesus Christ. There is nothing I would want that the world would give me that would compare. Zero. So it's worth it. The citizenship in the kingdom of heaven is worth it. Being able to say that I submit to that and surrender to that, I don't lose in that. Now, even Proverbs 8 would tell us that to fear the Lord is to resist evil. So I would encourage you, as you think about resisting evil, I think there's one more slide left. David in the Psalms asked God to search his own heart first. As we think about evil in the world, we think about pursuing peace, it'd be so easy to be like, God, if you could just make them behave, I could show up so much better. What what amazing prayers that would be. God, if you just... Just make them nice when they come to the 4th of July picnic. I could show up so much better. If you'd make the people in our neighborhood behave so much more before they brought their kids here and they ran through the hallway or got our stuff dirty, boy, it'd be so much easier to love them. If they believed and looked the same way as us, oof, I could just soar. And David says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and see every anxious thought. Remove from me any wicked way. Lead me to the life everlasting. Check me first. Brush out all the nooks and crannies that I hide from you. Friends, it's worth it. I mean, that's the only thing I could say as I'm closing our time is that it's worth it. When we think about what happened when the Jewish Christians, when they had fled outside of Jerusalem... Um, how many are, of you are familiar with the story of the man with the demons in the tombs, like in Decapolis? Okay, horrible place. Nobody wanted to go there. Every good Jew is just like, don't go there. You know, you're grounded if you go there. Within 100 years of the Jews being dispersed, the Christian Jews being dispersed out of Jerusalem, there were so many Christian believers in Decapolis, they had to appoint a bishop there as well. Scattering is not the enemy. And when we're willing to go, it is like seeds that are planted everywhere where God sends us and that God can water them. You're working in a corporate environment, you are a seed that is planted there. You're in a nursing home, you are a seed that is planted there. You're in a family that might feel a little crazy right now, you're a seed that is planted there. Imagine what God can do in a little bit of time if you're willing to go and be a person of wisdom and not forget to seek peace and pursue it to fear the Lord. Let's pray. God, I am so thankful um, that even in the middle of the tough and challenging parts of the scripture, um, you say we don't have to do it alone. I know I couldn't. And God, as I think about the beautiful people here at Hope Reformed, about the ways that they're loving and serving each other in the community, God, I pray, would you make them people of wisdom? God, would they carry peace with them in such a way that, God, when people enter the room with them, they feel hopefulness. They feel like they could be at rest. Help them to pursue peace. Help them to pursue wisdom. 
Help them to hate what is evil and love what is good. Help them to understand the fear of the Lord in such a way that they fall so deeply in love with you, God, again and again and again, every day, until you're coming again. God, for the good of your kingdom, for the glory of your Son, in Jesus' name, amen.